Hello again, my name is Sam Vasquez, and this is Fall Risk. Hello again, friends. Welcome to another episode of Fall Risk, where we talk about anything and everything skydiving. I am Sam Vasquez, your host, and on today's episode, we are sitting down with the extremely talented and very knowledgeable David Delanave. Say hello to everyone, Dave. Hi, Sam. And Hi. Everyone. Hi, everyone. <laughs> uh, Dave and I have known each other for a little over a decade now. And in that time, I've learned an insane amount from him, both in skydiving and outside of skydiving, specifically in the gym where he helped completely revolutionize the way I treat and prep my body for skydiving. Um, more on that later. But for right now, let's hear from Dave himself. Dave, give me the rundown. Tell me about how and when you started skydiving. Um, I think I started 14 years ago. Um, it was right around 2010. Um, actually, technically I did my very first tandem. My very first skydive was when I was 18 years old at Hutch. Um, and I really, distinctly... wait, wait, yeah. wait, go back to that. Really? I, that's yeah. like a tidbit I've never heard before. You did a tandem at Hutch way back in the day. Yep. yep. Oh man. So I always knew that I wanted to skydive and I, so I was like, okay, I got to wait till I'm 18. I don't think that my parents necessarily were against it, but I also just assumed that I couldn't ask them. So <laughs> I waited until my 18th birthday. And then the next opportunity was the Saturday that I had to take either the ACT or the SAT. I don't remember which one. So I like quick rush through it as fast as I possibly could. <laughs> like this thing that's supposed to like, like, you know, determine your college future. I just rushed through it as fast as I could and then <laughs> drove up to Hutch and did a tandem. And you know, it's funny. I've heard some of the other episodes where you ask about people's first skydive. I don't remember really my first AFF jump, but I distinctly remember my first tandem where I had the sensation of like being in the door. And of course it was a 182 mm -hmm. and they're like, you know, are you ready? And, and I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and by the time I had that thought, it was too late. It was like, we were already out the door, you know? Yeah. That's super yeah. cool. Who did you, yeah. who did you do that tandem with? Do you remember? Honestly, couldn't tell you. I have the certificate somewhere and I could probably look back at it. I've never even thought to look at it though. Yeah. Um, but I think I know where it is so I could go see. So yeah, that was at Hutch. And then basically fast forward to um, like 2010, the year before I had asked my uh, really good friend, Adam, who, you know, mm -hmm. like, Hey dude, do you want to like go skydiving and like start becoming skydivers? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll totally do it. And a whole season went by where like I couldn't coordinate with him. And that's like classic Adam. Um, and then the next season I was just like, well, I'm not waiting for you anymore. And I drove out there in the spring and signed up for AFF and the rest is history. That's pretty cool. I don't, yeah. I honestly, like, I mean, I was so new at the time too. Like, I don't remember you going through AFF. So like I was thinking about this question uh, earlier today and I was like, man, when I ask him, like, am I going to remember this convert? Like, am I going to remember this story? But this is all new information for me. Like, I don't think we've ever really talked about this. I for sure have never heard that you went to Hutch and you started at Hutch or you did your first tandem. It makes me laugh. I can't wait for you to go back and look at that, uh, <laughs> that certificate and find out who it is. Cause I'm going to laugh my butt off if it's like Joel or, <laughs> I mean, I it's, there's a good chance it's going to be funny. Whoever it is. Yeah. I never even thought about it. That's super cool. All right. So you talked a little bit about how you got into jumping. How many jumps do you currently have these days? Uh, just over 2,000. Okay. Cool. How's that feel? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's it's a lot of jumps for them to be 100% fun jumps. Yeah. Like, 
I've yeah. never worked in the sport. I've never done any meaningful number of like, um, I mean, I had my coach rating briefly and we can talk about that, but I didn't really do that many of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've done tons of coaching jumps, just not coach rating jumps. And we can talk about the distinction there, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of jumps for being purely fun jumps for sure. Yeah, that was going to be my next statement. Like, if you hadn't brought it up, I would have been like, it's pretty impressive that it's 2,000 fun jumps. Like, there's not a lot of people that have that that number, you know, who in – I don't want to say it's a condensed amount of time because you've been jumping for over a decade, but, like, for a decade, like, of consistent skydiving, like, that's, that's pretty impressive. So Thanks. Pat yourself on the back. <laughs> Where did the drive come from to, like, try that tandem to begin with? Like, why did you start doing it? Why did you make that decision? I mean – we talked a little bit about it, but obviously there's like something that changes between the first tandem and your first AFF. Like, what is it that really made you want to do it? What's the decision behind that? You know, honestly, I don't know. And and again, in listening to one of the other episodes, I thought about that a little bit. Like, I definitely did not understand that skydiving was a sport. I didn't understand how it manifested as a sport. I obviously understood that there were people who were skydivers, And I got that little taste of it um, when I did the tandem, but it wasn't like I went, did my tandem, saw how it all worked. And then was like, I want to come back and do this later. It was just very much of like, ever since I was a kid, I thought skydiving would be really cool. And then I checked it off my list. And then, you know, some time later, I was just like, yeah, I I think I want to do that. And honestly, I really didn't even understand the process when I did like, I know Jen and I have talked about it a lot and like Zoolander very much lined or like showed her the whole process. He was like, you know, okay, you do your seven AFF jumps and then you have to do 25 total jumps and then you become licensed and then you start jumping with other people. I very much just approached it literally one jump at a time. Like, okay, I'm doing my AFF a jump. And then I was kind of like, um, what do I do next? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, well, you, you do your B jump. And I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> and I really did truly just take it like one step at a time. And, you know, and then you get handed your A license card and you're like, oh, I have to check off all of these things. Okay. And I, I do really well with like, sort of like checklists and, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, like I got my pilots and license and instrument rating this year. And um, in flight, there's, a, they actually have a, basically like a checklist where it it's actually really cool it figures out which boxes for the requirement you can check based on the flights that you've logged so like if you log a nighttime cross country over 250 miles without an instructor it logs that as one of your commercial requirements Mm -hmm. and i was like obsessed with that i was like okay how do i check the next one off you know Mm -hmm. And I really just took it like one jump at a time. And then of course, by the time I got to my 25 jumps or 30 or 40 or whatever, I was like, oh, okay. I, I kind of understand how this sport works and and what I might want to do in it. All right. That's super cool. I'm going to double, I'm going to go back just a little bit. You talked about how you knew skydiving was something you want to do since you were a kid. Do you remember your exposure to skydiving for the first time? Like you don't no, remember what I, kickstarted no that idea. idea? No idea. It was probably like Mountain Dew commercials or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> for me it was the power rangers movie oh for sure Dude. not the movie i probably never saw the movie but the show i loved the power ranger show because mm-hmm. it was always on probably for most of us when i got home from school and so i would just like put that on and watch it mm-hmm. yeah for sure yeah there's a there's a 
the very first Power Rangers, it was like the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. It was J- with Jason David Frank as like the white the White Ranger and stuff. And they rest, were battling. Rest in peace. Yeah, rest in peace, man. Um, they were battling Ivan Ooze in that one. And then the very, very beginning sequence of the whole movie, it's a skydiving sequence. It's the whole team. They go out. They do like some skyboarding. And it's the very first time I think I've ever seen it on on screen like skydiving yeah. on screen it's the coolest stuff ever as a kid so like i was curious like if there was something that stuck out to you where you saw it first and like it really stuck in your brain but that's no okay. it's just a general consciousness of like oh skydiving is a thing i really want to do that cool that's awesome um all right so do you have any other hobbies outside of skydiving like what do you like to do besides jump Oh, dude, this is always such a hard question because I'm like, oh, I don't know, like not much. But then (laughs) (laughs) I just recently looked back on my past year and like all the things I did um, and it kind of describes it. So just looking at it again, uh, like I said, I got my private license. I got my instrument rating as well. I took three pretty major trips. I was in India for about a month driving uh, a rickshaw cross country. Um, I was in Korea filming a second episode of the documentary that we did in Italy a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Super um, cool, by the way. If you guys haven't seen it, you should absolutely do that. Do a plug really quick. Like, what's the name of it? Where can we thanks. find it? Yeah, it's called From the Source, um, and that's that's the Italy episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically um, kind of a motorcycle and food journey. It started with the idea that we should go to Italy and film the olive oil harvest. Um, as that related to the olive oil import business that I kind of started by accident. Um, (laughs) And then it evolved into this just sort of like exploration of like creators of really um, artisanal foods in Italy. And then that was a really good time. And the crew um, had such a fun experience doing it that we wanted to do it again. And one of the photographers on the crew was Korean. So we're like, well, let's go to Korea. Um, so in theory, it's going to be like from the source Korea, unless we kind of change it. And that probably be another year before that gets edited and, and, and put out there. But yeah, the Italy one is available online. Um, we can include a link to it in the show notes. It's actually, yeah, it's actually private right now because we're on the, um, film fest tour and you can't have it publicly available if you're on film fest, but I can include a link that people can see it for free. Okay. Yeah. That sounds great. Like anything to help you like keep pushing that along. Um, we'll probably drop like a, um, a link to your website too, for olive oil. Cause if you guys haven't had it, it's pretty great. Olive oil. It's pretty awesome. Like super, super, what, what's the word? Um, I don't want to say organic, but it's like very, very not refined. It's just so flavorful compared to what most people are used to. You know, they think of olive oil as just like, I don't know, it's oil. It doesn't really taste like anything. But then you have a really, really fresh, vibrant oil and it's like grassy and fruity and, Mm -hmm. you know, a tiny bit astringent or or bitter and like... Mm -hmm. It's just so flavorful that most people are shocked. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that because I don't know how to talk about food properly. I don't have the right <laughs> I don't have the right vocabulary or like to properly describe different types of food. So thank you for that. I really appreciate it. No um, worries. <laughs> so what do you do outside of skydiving for work, if you don't mind me asking? Well, so the olive oil is uh is kind of my main thing. Mm-hmm. Um and then I've always been an entrepreneur and have been for a long time because I'm almost 40. So, um, I've got just a lot of different irons in the fire. I've got some rental properties. Um, yeah, just kind of do a variety of different things. Yeah. You don't really do one thing. You do a lot of different things. Yep. And as it relates to this conversation up until a couple of years ago, I was a gym owner for 10 years. So Mm -hmm. trainer, trainer and gym owner. Very, very experienced, very knowledgeable in that area. Um, we're going to talk about it a little later, but 
to preface it, like tons of really good information that'll change your life if you let it. Um, what is your favorite discipline in skydiving and why is it your favorite discipline? What do you like to do the most? Yeah, good question. Um, it's probably angles. Um, I got obsessed with angles mostly because of when we started doing the Sam's mad sunset tracking dives. <laughs> God, oh no. <laughs> it's so cringe looking back on I know. it. Like so we bad. had no idea what we were doing, but <laughs> it was just so it was the closest feeling to like flight. Mm -hmm. And so I started to get really excited about angles. I probably did probably well over a thousand angle only jumps. Like literally for years, that was all I would do. And then most recently, about four years ago, I got really into static, vertical static, because I started getting into the highest levels of the angle camps mm -hmm. and they were starting to integrate static stuff into them. Like you'd like stop on a static point, maybe um, do like a shuffler or carve mm -hmm. around or something like that. And like, I couldn't do it. And mm -hmm. it was, it was actually pretty dangerous because I was so good at moving that I yeah. couldn't stop moving. Yep. So I would just like scream past people in a carve. Mm -hmm. Not good. Um, so I basically was like, all right, I have a massive hole in my game that if I want to be like, if I want to be elite at angles, I have to also be good at static. Mm -hmm. And so I dedicated the next, I don't know, pretty close to a probably a thousand or maybe not quite that many jumps to static in big ways mm -hmm. um, and kind of pursued that over the past couple of years. So yeah. um, I still really, really love movement, but I also really love static. And I want to talk about why just for one second. Go for it. Yeah. I love movement. Like it is by far the coolest thing you can do to just like move in a completely three-dimensional way around the sky. But static is objective. Like you either got the point or you didn't get the point. You either completed the die flow or you didn't. Like it's win or lose. And I think for a lot of people, that's frustrating because mm -hmm. they have to then admit that they're not as good as they think they are. Mm -hmm. And so they get really excited about movement because there's no objective standard for it. It's like, yeah. yeah, every jump is awesome. It doesn't matter that you were like egregiously off level and getting smoked by the leader. <laughs> you know, it was still awesome. Mm -hmm. So I've started to gain this tremendous appreciation for both static and people who get good at it, because you have to be a whole lot more honest with yourself about what your skills actually are. Like if yeah. you say that you can go do a, a sequential vertical sequential jump, it, you're immediately demonstrated to be have lied about your skills if you can't do it. On a movement jump, uh, you can kind of fudge it. You can be like, oh yeah, I got on the outside of the turn on that one. And you know, even a mm -hmm. good a good organizer leader can kind of be like, eh, well, I'm not sure, but okay, you know. Mm -hmm. But with static, it's just it's black or white. You either performed or you didn't. And I I really love that about it. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. I wanna I wanna go back just a little bit about how or about when you were talking uh, about your progression through angle jumps, right? So lots and lots of movement, lots of dynamic movement. And then suddenly we start switching into, or we start starting to add, um, starts and stops and transitions into different disciplines, right? What do you kind what do you call those kinds of skydives? I'm curious because it's starting to happen more and more in different locations. It's no longer just happening at camp. So there are a couple of jumps that I did with a few people on a vacation, um, 
just recently where we did like a little bit of everything. It was like dynamic. We did a little bit of dynamic and carving and switches. And then we did some belly and back and we did different transitions um, like to head down and like formed around and we pancaked it. It was just, you know, like there was a whole bunch of different things going on. So I'm curious, like there doesn't seem to be, at least not that I know of, uh, a specific name for those types of skydives. I've heard them referred to as like 3D dives or like movement jumps. Like I'm curious, what is the official... Like, I don't think it has an official title, but I definitely would call it 3D. Yeah. And that's and that's what I hear most people refer it to okay. or refer to it as. Um, you could kind of call it MFS, but that really isn't accurate. I yeah. definitely would call it 3D. It, they're really cool. Like, man, yeah. it's it's cool having all the skills now, you know, like yes. being able to do all the different things and like put them all together. Uh, uh, DSP, David San Pedro, yeah. when he was out here, he put... Uh, uh, me and a couple other flyers through that same stuff. And it is so much fun. Like, have you been doing a lot of those types of jumps at all? Or is that something that's relatively new to you? What's no, for sure. I've done tons of stuff like that. And like, that is by far the most fun thing to do, especially in smaller groups, like two to four ways. But, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Have you ever had uh Polly Ferryman as your, as your coach for like an way, angle camp? Like way back in the day, way, okay. way back in the day. Yeah. So he's one of the ones that comes to mind. In fact, I was just in Eloy and we were talking to Tex and somebody else about how Paulie Ferryman comes up with these die flows that you're like, dude, for sure, everyone's going to die on this. Like you're going to like slam into each other and get ejected and and everyone's going to die. And they work totally fine. And not only that, but he does them with like oftentimes the lower level groups. It's insane. Mm -hmm. Um, Super, super creative. He's the main person that comes to mind with stuff like that. Um, obviously, everyone good is capable of putting those together, but he's super creative. Like, yeah, we're going to do a layout and like mm-hmm. get on our bellies. And then, you know, <laughs> I'm going to punch it and you're going to like flip onto your back. And then car- it's yeah. madness. Yeah. But- and and they really do allow you to be really creative. Somebody recently asked me, like, they're like, you organize me. And I'm like, ah. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to put this together. I yeah. just, you tell me what to do and I'll know, like, and then I'll do it. But I don't, it was like, did not compute. So like, there's a, there's a level of, uh, like intuition and knowledge and like creativity that really goes along with it to create like those really good, you know, dives that flow, even if they don't sound right when they're talking about them. Like totally. It's a skill locally. Um, I think Zach Leak is the best person at that. Um, I always pitch it to him like, Hey dude, what do you have in mind? He's like, Oh, I have some ideas. And mm-hmm. I think, I think he just watches a lot of Instagram videos of people like Brandon Johnson that post a lot of like top to bottom jumps where you can see the whole flow. And then he's like, Oh, that looks cool. Let's try that one. Um, I'm honestly not that good at it. I'm a better, um, follower than I am a like idea, you know, mm-hmm. inventor, but yeah. it's definitely a skill for sure. I feel ya. Whew. All right. So moving on. Sorry. Moving on. We could talk about this until we're blue in the face. Um, I know, right? (laughs) uh, Moving on. What kind of wing are you currently rocking these days? Uh, I'm on a JFX 84. How you like it? I love it. Yeah? Yeah. It's probably, yeah, it's the favorite wing I've ever had. I'm in this weird place where, like, I'm very much not a swooper. Um, I've done a bunch of uh, canopy courses, and I highly recommend them. And I've done them at the, like, swooping level. Um, So I am reasonably competent at making big turns and stuff like that. But the problem I run into is I go to a ton of events, Mm -hmm. like camps, events, things like that. And they're almost universally nineties only. So for me to stay current at bigger turns is Mm -hmm. really, really hard. 
Um, and then even like, you know, where I'll stack up in the jump order or the exit order at, you know, like my home DZ, um, oftentimes doesn't lend itself to doing a big turn because I'm going to be causing a safety issue with someone else. So I've kind of just accepted that I'm good with smaller turns, but I can still like generate a lot of power on that wing. And Mm -hmm. it also gives me a a margin. If I need to put it into somebody's backyard, it's not like the highest possible performance wing I could be flying. Yeah. Um, I'll probably go down to like a 79 Leia probably this winter. Um, and then I won't be going any smaller than that. Okay. That's fair. Cool. I mean, JFX is awesome. Like super great all around great workhorse, great canopy, like totally props. Um, I'm super excited to see what happens on the Leia. It's gonna be really cool. Yeah. 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 Um, let's see. Let's move on. Um, I want to talk about kind of some favorites here. Okay. Yeah. Really, really quickly. Um, tell me about like one or two jumps. They don't necessarily have to be like the ultimate favorite, but I want to, I want you to tell me about one or two jumps that really stick out in your mind in like a positive way. Like, tell me about, if you only think of one, that's great. If you think about like one or two, that's, that's totally fine too. I want to, I want to hear, tell me what your favorite stuff is. All right. So one of my favorite jumps <laughs> is, uh, this is like two, it might've been last summer. It might've been two years ago. Time, time is a blur, but, uh, we were at CSC for some sort of boogie. It might've been sis or something like that. And it was breezy's, um, something thousandth jump, like <laughs> 7,000th or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously Blaine and breezy and it was going to be a belly jump okay. and, you know, she invited us on it and we were welcome, whatever. Um, and we went and did the jump. It went awesome. I think we might've like built the round and then like campfired it up to a sit. And of course it blew up or whatever, but it, it was very successful. And afterwards, um, I think it was Paul Webster's wife, whose name escapes me now. It doesn't really matter, but she's a big belly organizer, very experienced, very skilled, very competent, very well-known, very, very nice person. She comes up to us, Jen and I, and she's like, Hey, uh, I just want to tell you when I saw you guys show up with your like jeans and a Jersey, I was like, great. Here come the free flyers that are going to blow through this formation because they can't belly fly. And you guys absolutely crushed it. Thank you. (laughs) And I was like, yes, because that stereotype of belly of uh, free flyers that can't belly fly is actually super accurate. Mm -hmm. And I, um, and like super proud of being well-rounded enough to be like a competent free flyer and able to do belly stuff. Yeah. So, you know, of all the fancy jumps I've done, um, you know, like big way records and stuff like that, or like, um, some of my favorite type of jumps are like summer fest sunset angles with like a full plane load, like 22 way angle, mm-hmm. um, or even bigger. If we do two plane shots, those are awesome, but that one stands out just being like super competent at something that someone didn't think you, you know, Mm -hmm. would be, would be. It's gotta be a good feeling. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. The other one I will say was, um, the first, I don't know if it was when we got the record or like the first time that it more or less built, but my first big way was the New Jersey, um, head down record. I think it was like a 17 way. And I was, absolutely over the moon the first time that built because it felt like i had achieved that 
like goal that I had set when I got kind of kicked out, of, not kicked out, but I got bumped down at a fly for life camp in mm-hmm. from the group that I was in because I couldn't fly static. And yeah. from that moment on, I was like, all right, I'm not going to be weak at static anymore. And like getting a big way vertical record is yeah, pretty much like you're good. Like, you're, yeah. you know, you can get better, but you're competent. And yeah. I was so, so, so stoked to have achieved that. That's got to yeah. feel super nice. Like all that time and effort and work and like mental toil, all of it pays off, right? It's it super really, fulfilling. Yeah. It feels really nice. Um, what is your favorite thing about skydiving? Why do you love this sport so much? Um, or maybe you don't love it. I don't know, but like, no, I do love it. I do love it. I don't keep doing it because I, you know, I'm trudging (laughs) along. I do it because I really love it. Um, I think it's the progression. Um, it's kind of a, both a blessing and a curse that you're never as good as you want to be. That's got that you can always get better. Um, I think that I've objectively reached like a pretty high level and I'm not as good as I want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that kind of thing really drives me forward. Yeah. So it's probably that. And also just like, I don't know, being able to fly your body mm-hmm. f- for a minute, um, is really cool. And then dump and be able to fly a high performance, you know, a little wing is also awesome. Mm-hmm. So do you ever have that thought in free fall? I don't I mean, you're always doing something in, on your jumps. It's not like you're ever just chilling and hanging out but sometimes on tandems um i'll have this thought of being like just looking around and being like this is fucking nuts (laughs) yeah for sure yeah yeah. especially when you like look up out at the horizon and kind of like take it all in yeah so before we get into like some of the more pointed things about you know your your time in the sport um i want to talk about like kind of you've been in it for a really long time right for longer than most most Uh, yeah what is the most significant change you've seen in the sport since you started i like asking this question because there's always a variety of different answers um it's kind of interesting to hear like what do you think is the most significant change just across the board of skydiving so I think I came in when this transition had already started, but I think that from what I've heard and from what I've observed and understood, there's been a pretty significant shift in skydiving from a sport that people do or a hobby that people do. And it goes right along with like partying and drinking and just being like general hooligans to more of a sport that people take really seriously and like want to excel at and, you know, want to like put some objectivity to. So mm-hmm. basically the transition from boogies to camps or yeah. boogies to events. Like, I think that that's probably the biggest transition and some of the other factors play into that. Mm-hmm. They're not like the thing that's changed. Like the, the desire for progression and performance is the bigger change the fact that we have tunnels and that enables yeah. it and the accessibility, right. has changed yeah. a lot of people. Yep. All of those things are, are sort of like symptoms, but I think the big thing is that people want more performance out of skydiving and, yeah. you know, like the wings being better goes hand in hand with that because if people were just content with getting down to the ground, they'd still be jumping the old shit, you know? Yep. So, I mean, that's super true too. Cause like you can, you can see the evidence of it is like events like couch, you know, don't exist anymore. You know, like no. it's just a free for all party, right? Those don't exist anymore. And when you do go to boogies, when you do go to parties, they're always paired with like a million and one camps in that same, 
you know, weekend. That's a very, that's a very keen observation. I certainly didn't, didn't think about until someone kind of mentioned it to me like maybe a week ago, but you're super spot on. Moving on, let's get more into some some specific areas, okay? Sure. So we talked about how you previously owned a gym, right? Tons of yep. experience as a trainer, as a coach, um, helping people with strength training and weightlifting. And what else am I missing? Like what other areas did you focus on too as well? Um, yeah, that, that about covers it. Nutrition. Um, okay. and then you'll quickly realize anytime you get into that, you, uh, you end up sort of like borderline life coaching people. So just yeah. sort of like general wellness ends up being part of it. But yeah, obviously the focus is like strength and nutrition. Okay. Most people would say you're a pretty prestigious trainer and coach within, within that, that realm, right? Ages and ages ago, you were one of the first people that helped me to train to get my tandem rating, right? I reached out to you and I think at the time Smiley, cause he was bodybuilding, right? I didn't really yeah. know which direction I was supposed to go in. Super new to all of that, all of that information and that basically basic lifestyle, right? Yep. Um, over the years, you've really never stopped giving me advice and helping me and <laughs> others. To Whether like you want it or not. Yeah, right. Um, but I mean, it's all, it's all very pertinent to what's going on in our lives, right? You've never stopped giving advice to me and to other people. You go out of your way to like basically help us fix our bodies when we, when we <laughs> screw them all up um, in the sky and in the tunnel. So my, my question to you is in a general sense, what, in your professional opinion, what are a few major things that we could be doing to like, just in our lifestyle or our daily lives that we could be doing to as skydiving instructors and coaches, um, to like keep our bodies healthy in the sport? Like Okay. So, um, you know, what you, what can you do to quick fixes? I mean, there's no quick fixes. Um, but we need to acknowledge and we need to recognize that skydiving is very much a performance sport. People will say like, oh, it's not that physical, you know, any, you're, you're not athletes. And that is true if you go to the average drop zone and look at who the weekend warriors are. But I've been to two events this year, which you could pretty much not dispute would be the highest level of skydiving, the vertical world record at Skydive Chicago this summer and the women's vertical world record project 19, um, this couple weeks ago in Eloy and I would like you to be in those hangars and tell me that they're not athletes. Every single person is somewhere between fit and fit as fuck, like mm -hmm. super, super fit people because it's hard. Like, yeah, it's not, you know, it's not your like beer belly, like, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to roll out of bed and, you know, go for a skydive shit anymore. Like it was back in the couch freaks days. It's not, mm -hmm. like, there's a level of performance that's required. And like, being a tandem instructor, that stuff is hard. Um, by the way, getting you strong enough to do that is like <laughs> one of my like most memorable and oh. it really is. It means it meant a lot to me because you legit were not strong enough to pull the no. toggles down. No, <laughs> and, no, absolutely not. We not only got you overall just generally stronger, but we also got you specifically stronger. I specifically remember like setting up the top, the uh, pulleys. Kettlebells. Yeah. yeah. Kettlebells <laughs> on pulleys so that you could specifically train. Mm -hmm. um, so, man, just having a general strength training program and doing it. Um, the schedule for skydiving is horrible in terms of, you know, being able to do that stuff, especially if you're working in the sport and you're, you know, God forbid you're working seven days a week. Um, I don't know what the schedule is like out at, you know, more, um, 
like Southern drop zones where they jump year round. I don't know if you keep that crazy of a schedule, but I know that back home, you know, in Minnesota, it's like you guys are what five or six days a week. Yeah. Um, it's pretty brutal and there's not a whole mm-hmm. lot of extra time for workouts, but it doesn't matter. You'd like, if you want your body to hold up, you, you have to do it. Um, yeah. and it doesn't have to be complicated, like simple, full body, you know, three, two to three workouts a week is more than enough to keep you, um, in better shape and kind of stave away the abuse and the repetitive stress from something like, um, you know, anything athletic that you're going to be doing repeatedly, much less strapping a 50 pound pack to your back and a 200 pound person to your front. Yeah. So strength training, okay. it. It, it sounds too simple, but it's, um, you know, they say simple, but not easy. Like mm-hmm. it's really simple to do. You just have to actually do it. And that's the hard part. I understand. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. I want to talk a little bit. This is something that you've hounded us on. Like when I say us, I mean like the people you've trained in skydiving, right? Like the people that you've worked with in the gym. There's a whole bunch of us like shout out to all the other people. I've got like six different people running through my brain right now that I know have gone to your gym and worked out there. Um, Can you talk about the importance of, I don't know what the official term is for this is I was looking it up last night and I was trying to figure it out, but I don't think I was putting the right keywords in for it and into, into Google. Um, I want to call it counter conditioning, but I feel like that's something I would use for dog training and not for specifically being at the gym. Basically like we go through all these same repetitive motions, right? Like all the time. And one of the things that you used to talk about with us was doing a workout that is different than the motion you're constantly making so that you can work on all the other muscle groups equally yeah. and potentially help stabilize, like stabilizing muscles, that kind of stuff. I don't know what the official term is for it. I don't know if there is one, but can you talk about why that is so important? Yeah. So it, we, we called it contra specific training. There you uh, go. Yeah. It started or, with a C. <laughs> yep. Or opposition movements. Um, that was kind of the model and framework we used. Um, that is probably something that will lead you back to me more than it will lead you to like general stuff, because mm-hmm. while it sort of is a generally understood concept in sports training, it's not very well applied. Um, so yes, it's super important. And, and the basic idea is that, um, the body will lay down tissue along lines of stress. So it will continue to remodel and build tissue for the exact thing you do. So the most like obvious example I can think of is if you ever look at the professional tennis players, especially the men, just because they're more likely to build more muscle, um, you are gonna see them have much, one arm much, much bigger than the other, which is like their primary, uh, I guess it would probably be their forehand arm um, because they're doing the same thing all the time. And that's not necessarily a bad thing but it can lead to, for lack of a better term, since this isn't like a fitness podcast, it can lead to imbalances. So the idea is if you do some opposition movements to whatever you're doing too much of, um, it will help balance you out a little bit. It will also help like overall strengthen you rather than strengthen you for that one specific thing. Because it's great to be really good at doing that one thing. The problem is, if you're not only doing that, you still have to do these other things. And then you're actually potentially sort of weakening for those if you're not training mm-hmm. them. Um, it gets a little complicated with something like, okay, like, you know, what are the opposition movements for a tandem instructor? Well, it's mm-hmm. not as clear as like a forehand tennis swing. Um, but the good news is 
you can do things as simple as like deadlifts and squats mm -hmm. and rows and overhead presses and stuff like that. And those are broadly oppositional enough that you're going to cover your bases. Okay. Awesome. That's like, that's a ton of really good information. Um, especially for instructors that are first starting out that don't really get it or don't understand, especially people who are in my, my position. Um, I mean, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here about like why it's, why I feel like it's, it was important from my experience is like, you were right. I was a scrappy little kid who I was 21 years old, like basically zero muscle mass, like on my body. Um, I needed to work really hard, but then I, I, once I got to where I wanted to be, I didn't really get how important it was to just be strong in general so that I could finesse my way through certain things and not just have to, it's more important than you think. And it's stuff you don't think about, you know, it's stuff you don't really have any awareness of as a brand new instructor, you know? Yeah. Especially um, if you don't come from like a background of like sports or athletics, you know, which mm -hmm. I think a lot of people in skydiving don't, they just, mm -hmm. they, they got excited about the sport for whatever reason they did. And you know, maybe they weren't a big athlete and maybe it's the most athletic thing that they've ever done. And that there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, they might not have that background. I certainly didn't. I didn't get introduced into the weight room until I was in my early twenties. I yeah. didn't get that in high school with like, you know, um, like the football team went to the weight room, <laughs> the soccer team did not. So I never yeah. got that background. Same, man. Same. I hear you. Um, so transitioning really quick to a different topic. All right. Just moving on. You travel a lot. You've talked about that already just in like the hour that we've been we've been chatting here. Um, you've gone to a bunch of different camps, right? Different events. Yep. In your estimation, how many do you think you make it to a year? Like how many how many events? Um, well, I counted up this year and I made and it was like 11 or 12. Uh, and hey. I was, oh, my God. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. I mean, it's definitely an average of one a month and some months it's more than one. Um, yeah. I mean, like just in February of last year, I did the Florida head down record, uh, uh, head down camp at, at Deland and then the tryouts for the vertical world record. And that was like in one month. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. I mean, I asked that question to build up a little bit more, um, of uh, prestige for, for the next couple of questions I'm going to ask here. Um, what kind of event like that you go to is your favorite? Like what, what kind of event um, would you prefer to go to? It, it varies. I mean, for a long time, fly for life, angle camps, movement camps were my favorite thing to go to. Um, and then I kind of took a break from that because again, like I mentioned before, I realized I couldn't advance at all without getting better at static. Mm -hmm. Um, and then lately, it's been a lot of big way camps. Um, I think going forward, it's probably going to be sequential events um, as the big way thing kind of winds down for a year or two. Um, but I don't know. I don't really have a favorite. Okay. Why do you make it a priority to go, go to send so many events? Like that's a huge commitment, you know, it gets, that's an insane commitment that not a lot of people can match. So yep. I'm curious, like, why do you make it such a high priority? I'm glad you asked that. So Unless your home DZ is a place like Deland or Skydive Arizona or one of maybe like four or five drop zones in the entire US, Skydive Chicago in the summer, unless your home DZ is one of those places, you cannot become a better skydiver at your home DZ. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Beyond a certain level, you will not achieve. And in a lot of places, that level is pretty low. 
Um, mm-hmm. And that's not a criticism. It's just reality. Like if you want to excel and, and pro- progress, you have to travel. Yeah. Um, partly in, in small part to realize um, who, well, there's a bunch of reasons actually. So one, you need to realize that you're not as good as you think you are because you can be a big fish in a small pond very easily. Um, Two, you need to realize who at your drop zone does actually provide some value and know what they're talking about. Because every drop zone has people that basically front, like they know what they're doing. And it turns out that they don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And lastly, to like get access to those people that do, that are like the best, uh, both flyers and coaches, because there's a distinction there between you know, who's good at flying and who's good at coaching too. So basically if you want to progress in the sport, you have to travel. Yeah. Nope. That's actually one more thing. Even if you are home DZ at one of those places, it may not even necessarily be the right drop zone for the discipline that you want to be the best at. Like Mm -hmm. the land with, um, the fly for life guys is like the home of movement in the United States. Yeah. Um, you know, Oceanside maybe is kind of like kind of on par with how many people moved to California. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no offense to my skydive Arizona friends, but if, if somebody said to me, Hey, like money's no object, doesn't matter. I'll go anywhere. I want to be the best movement flyer I can be. I would not tell them to go to Eloy, you know, mm-hmm. like, it's not a criticism. It's just not the place, but if they want to be really good VFS flyers, I would probably tell them to go there because they yeah. can train with, you know, one of the best teams. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Chicago's not open year round, or I would say go there for the summer and train with core. Yeah. So, anyway. No, that's fair. I mean, um, so what, you're, so, so basically what you're saying is you got to go do it because you're only going to have so much, um, experience or you're only going to be able to build up so much experience at your own home, home drop zone, right? 100%. You have to commit to going other places to learn more than what you have access to on the daily. That brings up my next point yep. or my next question. Um, because there's such a huge commitment, time, money, travel, lodging, right? Not to not to mention event fees, right? And yeah. jump tickets, right? There's so much commitment there. Not having access to all that money and that time is one of the biggest obstacles the average jumper faces, right? When trying to go to these different these different events, right? Yeah. Um, it's why people don't commit to camps you know, so far in advance, because they don't know, especially if you work in skydiving, or if you are throwing everything that you have trying to get into skydiving, or, or try to build your, you know, your your knowledge. Um, it is far and away one of the hardest things for people to do to commit to a camp or an event, you know, two months in advance, because they don't know if they're going to have the money, you know, to do it later yeah. on down the line. Now, I, I asked you about this the other day, like, I suspect you have a ton of advice <laughs> on how to make this type of lifestyle more affordable. And I'm wondering, you can say no, I'm I'm wondering, like, do you have any tips or advice for people on how to make this more affordable other than just sharing the cost with others by traveling together? Right. Obviously. Can, yeah, yeah. Obviously, sharing is, is makes it obvious. Um, okay. So this was... This was mentioned in one of the other um, the other episodes in a in slightly tangential. The first thing to do would be to get specific about what you're hoping to achieve, and then talk to someone who's done that, so that you can drill down about what the most specific way to approach your goal would be. And I'll explain mm-hmm. what I mean by that. Um, let's say you want to get good at angles. I'll just like go back to that. Um, the most expensive way that you could do it would be to go like, and, and let's say you're basically like a beginner, you're just getting started would be to go to a fly for life Evo camp. 
That's mm-hmm. their smallest group size camp, which means it's their most expensive because you're mm-hmm. splitting that cost with fewer people. Um, and fly for life is sort of like the gold standard for, mm-hmm. for angle flying. But if you're a beginner, you probably don't need to go there to do that, to do the most expensive mm-hmm. one. And you could go to a camp that someone like, let's say Neil Kuhlman is a friend of mine and he comes to mind. Neil hosts camps like all over the Midwest and Northeast, which are way more affordable than the fly for life camp. And if you're a beginner and you just need somebody to give you the fundamentals and the basics, you don't need to go to the gold standard yet. I'm a big believer in getting the best possible coaching that you can. Um, but I will say, I will contradict myself a little bit. And I'll say that mostly applies to the tunnel. Um, if you want to circle back to that, we can, but mm-hmm. it doesn't matter right now. So what you can do is you can get more specific about how you approach it. It's going to cost you a lot less to go. Let's say you're a Minnesota jumper to drive to Midwest and sleep in your car and do a camp with Neil, than it would cost you to fly to Florida, potentially have to rent a car, find a place to stay and do a fly for life camp. Yeah. Um, you do a couple of those and now maybe you're good enough that you can go to the warm up camp instead of the Evo. Um, and then the, your fixed costs are the same, but at least your camp fee is substantially less. Yeah. And the only way that you're going to get there, if you don't already know all those things, is by talking to somebody who's done it and can mm-hmm. like give you that path. Because there's a lot of stuff in skydiving that's sort of tribal knowledge. Like it's not listed in one place. You need to mm-hmm. basically talk to people to get it. Um, and you're not going to figure it out Googling. You're not going to find it on Reddit. This is stuff that you just need to like find somebody who's done, you know, walk that path. Um, so that's probably like broad strokes, the biggest thing. Um, one little hack, this was my favorite thing to do when I couldn't find anyone to share with. And I was like going to camps by myself. And this was quite a significant period of time. Um, the weather in a lot of skydiving places in the spring and fall is like perfect. So you can rent a minivan and get an air mattress and throw it in the back of the minivan. And now you've got your car and your place to stay and you don't have to sleep in a tent. Mm -hmm. Um, It makes it pretty cheap. I did that for a lot of camps by myself. (laughs) That's pretty great. (laughs) It cuts out all the, all the hotel bills, you know, depending on how far away it is, it cuts out, you know, travel bills because you're not paying. I mean, it just depends on how far away it is. You know, like if you're traveling cross country, maybe not necessarily the most cost effective but if it's you're just driving across the state like let's just acknowledge that skydiving is really expensive and Mm -hmm. unfortunately it is a sport where basically the money and time that you can commit to it is going to dictate how good you get like it just is you know there's no um boy who only has a soccer ball and kicks it against the side of the school for two years and gets to be the best soccer player in the world kind of thing. Yeah. Like it's never going to happen. I'm sorry. It's, it's unfortunately a very like privilege based sport. Um, so it might be worth also just being honest with yourself and being like, you know, okay, do I want to get good at this? Mm-hmm. Yes. Because if you don't want to get good, that's okay. Then you don't need to travel. Yeah. You don't need to do all those things. You can still have fun. Um, do I want to get good at it? Do I have the resources to get good at it? If I don't have the resources, do I want to go back to like number one and say, maybe, maybe this isn't the sport for me. Maybe there's something else that I could get good at um, that I would enjoy just as much that wouldn't require such a financial commitment. I mean, I'm not trying to like steer somebody away from the sport, but I would, I would, I would like to flip that around and say, I would like to steer somebody towards something that's going to fulfill them the most. 
rather than being frustrated that the sport they chose is kind of financially gated because it just yeah, is. Very understandable. Um, I want to kind of back in like 2012, 2013, right? When there was like that group of 10, 15 people, maybe 10, 10 people who were really getting into angles and really getting into, um, yeah. you know, tracking and flying and like doing movement jumps, right? Um, do you remember what we did though to like learn more? Um, other in terms of like cost effectiveness, we brought coaches to us. Oh, that's so a great point. Yes. Yeah. So instead of going to camps, you know, like, or, or a couple of us would have gone to a camp at some point, right? Like I think there was a few years where stunts and I went to, uh, Arizona or we went to, oh, um, yeah. to land. Um, I think There's... you were with us at, at Arizona the one year we went right with Paul Fitch and, um, I and think stunts. We went, we for sure went to more than one place together. I, yeah. we went to Arizona a couple of times. We went to I think Florida. it land too, or Sebastian. Yeah. It was one of those. Um, yeah. but through those, just those couple of experiences, like where three or four of us went to different camps one winter, right? The next following summer, instead of traveling to events and spending a thousand dollars traveling to a camp, we just, for 500 bucks split between all of us, you know, we called somebody else up. We got Sharon up there. We had, we were talking about getting Tom uh, Baker up there at one Fine. point. Um, we had Ryan. Yeah. We had Ryan, um, Risberg up there at, at, uh, at one point too, as well. Like we just brought people to us and it was way more cost effective, especially at Skydive Twin Cities. Cause all we had to do was ask for a trailer to be open, put them in a trailer, free lodging, like free access to, you know, all the hotel amenity, uh, and, and amenities, amenities, amenities. <laughs> words are hard. Dude. I'm so glad you brought that up. That yeah. is such a good point. And it kind of brings up the other like a, a bigger point of like, take some initiative at your drop zone and be like, yeah. Hey, I'm willing to organize this thing. I'll take care of everything. Here's all I need from you guys. And mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> some drop zones would probably not accept that, but a mm -hmm. lot of them would probably be thrilled to have somebody take something off their plate. That's going to bring them money. Yeah. That's a really good point. We did that a bunch of times. I also remember the one with Sharon where we got completely weathered out, like mm -hmm. nothing. Was she horrible. was, she was nice enough to stay an extra day too yeah. as well. And like, yep. I think we sent the 182 up that, that extra day that she was there. Yep. Um, man. And that was, that was awesome. Cause that was like our own little private camp. I think there were only like three or four people that were able to stay from that camp that extra day. And so we got this tiny little, like, you know, super intimate Dude, uh, day I'm all to ourselves. So, I'm so glad you brought that up because you're right. That is a really good way to do it. And it you literally can... just popped yeah. right into my brain. I was like, Oh wait, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Take initiative, man. Like if you want something to happen at your drop zone, you want an event, you feel like you don't have easy access to it. Like start reaching out and talking to people. You don't need necessarily top of the line, right? You yeah. just need someone who knows more than you do, right? Yep. yep. To come out and coach you, pay yep. him to do it. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, we're getting really deep now. You ready? Okay. <laughs> we're getting real deep. Uh, so you talked about how you don't have instructor ratings. Yeah. Why don't you have instructor ratings? Um, well, it's, it's simple, really. I don't need instructor ratings to do what I want to do. Um, yeah. I have no interest in teaching people how to skydive from the, from the get go. Um, like AFF or, or, um, I think the coach rating is just one of the dumbest ratings. I understand <laughs> why it exists. Like basically it exists to 
it basically exists to shorten the course for tandem and AFF, because if they can teach you how to be a teacher in the coach rating, then they can focus on the other things for TIs and AFF. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's really pointless. And unfortunately the reality is most of the people getting their coach rating don't know what the fuck they're doing. They just don't, they're not totally fair. Yeah. They're just not very good yet. They're not very competent. Um, I, it's actually funny the way the rules are written, um, D license, I believe D licensed jumpers can jump with, um, unlicensed jumpers, right? I think you might need SNTA approval. Yeah. Which is stupid because honestly, if you're D licensed, you're probably massively more competent than a coach mm -hmm. and you should be able to do it. So anyway, I digress. My point is I don't need ratings to work with the people who I want to work with. And those people are more advanced jumpers. Yeah. There is so much coaching and teaching that can be done from jump. Let's not even say 50. Let's say from 100 to a thousand. Mm -hmm. There are people that need somebody to go head, head up or sit fly with them to give them a reference. So they realize that they're screaming across the sky backsliding. Mm -hmm. There are dozens and dozens of jumps that need to be made with somebody who's first getting their head down to yeah. give them a two-way base that they can fly relative to. Mm -hmm. um, I like doing that. I really enjoy that. And I do a ton of jumps like that. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't need a rating for that. So, you know, why would I go through the expense? Um, not to mention the whole, like, almost everybody who gets their AFF ends up, like, hating it and, <laughs> like, getting bitter. <laughs> so... I mean I feel like a lot of instructors, I mean, I don't know if this is actually true, but from what I've noticed or observed, a lot of people get their instructor ratings to make skydiving more affordable, right? They do. To like kind of supplant what their goals are, how, like how to afford camps or go to, go to other events. They do. And you know, that's probably not the best reason to be teaching, right? Yeah. It's because you need the money. Like it's mm -hmm. not ideal. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's maybe not ideal for the best teaching. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. Um, so you've always been a really great example in the sport of like the type of person who goes way out of the way. You kind of touched on it a little bit, but you go way out of the way to be, make sure you're being inclusive to a lot of different types of people, especially jumpers who are in that same range you just talked about, like the 100 to 500, you know, jump range where they really need a lot of opportunities, you know, yeah. to keep practicing uh, the things that they're, they're – basically their goals, like keep practicing and like chasing their goals. Um, and it's regardless of like skill level or time in the sport, right? You're not picking people based on your familiarity with them. You go out of your way to like include everybody. I want to know where that comes from. Like, where does that drive come from? Why, why is it important to you? Um, yeah, I mean, well, first of all, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, nobody's perfect. I certainly, least of which me, I, I know I piss plenty of people off and rub people the wrong way. Um, but that is one contribution I do like to make to the sport. Um, you know, where does it come from? Like, this is going to sound really like trite, but I just genuinely enjoy helping people. Part of it is a selfish desire to have more people to jump with. Mm -hmm. And part of it is paying it forward because someone did it for me. You know, mm -hmm. like you cannot, uh, you cannot get good at skydiving without, okay. Unless you have unlimited months funds and money to have mm -hmm. like really good coaches do two ways with you. You cannot get good at skydiving without somebody else wasting their hard earned money on you yeah. to do shitty skydives. Like yeah. it's, it's just like the reality, right? Like your first few head down two ways are going to be an absolute disaster. And it doesn't matter how good that ninja is. They can't 
they can't fix it for you. They can't save you. So someone needs to contribute to your fund as someone did to mine, you know, um, like Joel Davies did a ton of free fly jumps with me that were a horror show. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel feel like Joel Davies is like the foundational, like this role in a lot of different people's (laughs) like, uh, like unknowingly. So he's definitely, he taught me what I like the, the basics of what I know about free flying. Um, he taught like Brad Benrit like way back in the day. Like he was the person that like basically dragged me on all my all my original first first uh, free fly jumps. Taught me a lot about angle to begin with too as well. Like he definitely filled that role in a lot of different ways. Sorry, it's a weird oh, tangent. No, no, no. It's no, it's a good tangent. Up. I mean, Joel basically was there way before almost anyone else in Minnesota. Like he was mm-hmm. traveling to tunnels early. He was traveling to events early. He was mm-hmm. doing all those things before any of us were. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, I mean, like when I first started jumping, I looked up to Joel and was like, man, that guy's like a crazy head down flyer. I'll never be that good. I mm-hmm. genuinely thought I would never, you know, yeah. achieve the same level. And, you know, now we're like jumping peers and it's like, Hey, mm-hmm. do you want to go do a, you know, two way or four way or whatever? Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, someone has to do that. Um, I, I genuinely enjoy helping people. Um, I like seeing them. I like seeing people see what is possible, you know, like, you take some newer jumper who's never even had a good belly four-way jump or never been on a successful speed star and you get them involved and you get them to do something successful and you know, like they get it and they're like, Oh my God, like it can be more than just sort of like being in the sky with other people. Mm -hmm. This is awesome. And then it lights the fire for them to, to pursue it. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit of everything, but I really just, I like helping people. Okay. Where did that start for you? Like at what point in life did it start for you? That's like kind of a super broad, broad uh, statement, but like, who'd you learn it from? Who'd you I, watch do it and I decide honestly, you wanted to do it? I honestly don't know. I don't think I ever decided. I think it was just, I think it was just something that for whether it was nature or nurture, I, it was ingrained in me. I, I don't know. Um, you know, I, for like you acknowledged earlier, for better or worse, like give advice, but it's from a desire of wanting to help, you know, like sometimes mm-hmm. maybe people don't want that advice. And I've gotten better about being like, Hey, would you like some pointers on that? You know, <laughs> instead of just giving it to them. <laughs> um, my favorite is back at SCC when I see somebody just pound into the landing area down the mm-hmm. student area and walk up to him. I'm like, Hey, I, I saw your landing. Do you want any uh, pointers on that? <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes they're like, no, I'm good. I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait to see the next one. <laughs> Godspeed. Um, I don't know. I don't know where it came from. Okay. No, that's fair. That's totally like, yeah. It's just, I'm curious, like if you saw it someplace or if it's just something that's kind of already been always been there and has flourished as you've gotten older, you know? Yeah. I mean, obviously my skill has improved as I like was a professional coach for 10 years. So I I have some insight there and I Mm -hmm. have learned a lot about coaching through experience and, you know, research and like actively trying to learn more about it. But the desire is just sort of like, I don't know. I just like helping people. Yeah. You've, you've coached, you've coached a lot of us in a lot of different areas of life, right? Like not just in the gym lifestyle coach, right? Um, you have, you, I don't know what it is. Like you just retain so much information and are able to pull it like forward at like the drop of a hat. And you just kind of, like you said, just kind of spew it at people, you know? And like you have, you have an ability to just like naturally reproduce what it is you, you learned and be able to talk to people in a way that makes sense. Right. Right. For a lot of folks. So it's a super cool ability. Not a lot of people have that. 
And it's very remarkable and curious that you don't use it in this particular field at, like as an instructor. Because you are very much like, given all of that, it's very much instructor uh, like material, you know? And it's a curious thing that you don't, you don't take it there. Well, so. but, but I would argue that I do. I just don't do it. I don't yeah. do it under the guise of ratings with beginner skydivers, yeah. but I yes. absolutely do tons of essentially coaching jumps. I just mm -hmm. don't charge for it. And mm -hmm. I do it with slightly higher level flyers. Yeah. No, that's like, that's, that was, that was one of the things like when I was thinking about, um, you know, what kind of topics I wanted to talk about with you, like that was one for sure that I really wanted to touch on. It was like, it's, it's very clear you're like just a natural coach, like very, very clear. It's been clear since okay. like the day I met you. Right. Um, and it only has gotten more and more obvious with the more things or like the more ways that our lives get intertwined, you know, like through the gym and through the tunnel and through the sky, like through the drop zone. Like it's, it's very obvious and it's just, it's always struck me. I'm like, I don't understand why he doesn't get his ratings. Like I don't get it. You know, like he would do so well with this. He would flourish at this. Like it would be it's like a perfect fit for him, but now learning a little bit more about it makes more sense. Like about why. why you know what part of it is though bad. too. Part of why I don't like working with beginners is because a lot of them will quit, and then I feel like I wasted my time. Yeah. Whereas that's fair. if you work with more advanced uh, athletes or or skydivers or whatever, they're mm -hmm. way less likely to quit, and you're way less likely to get fulfillment from that sort of investment you made in them. Especially if I'm going to spend my money to do coach jumps with them. Because like I said, I don't charge for it. So if I'm going to spend my money, I want the like return of being able to jump with that person a year from now and do yeah. cool stuff. Whereas with beginners, like how many of your AFF students have continued? Yeah. It's it round, it, it yeah. rounds to zero, right? Basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a very small percentage of people that make it through AFF or let alone, let alone get their license. You know, there's very, very small percentage of people that do that. So I, I, that's not something I've thought about before. So it's, it's, a uh, specifically, um, specifically like wasting my time. You know, I don't want to think about it as wasting my time, but it's, you know, that's not something I've really thought about, but I, I do do it. Um, there's like a little bit of a level of, of exasperation, you know, wondering whether or not this person it's worth it for me to elaborate on this one little tiny area yeah. of their yeah. progression, because I don't know if this person is going to come back next week or if they're only going to make it a month or, you know what I mean? Like, yep. do I waste my time after work, after the day is done, elaborating on this thing, this one specific topic with somebody? If it's going to go in one ear and out the other. Yeah, exactly. That's, I understand that. That's frustrating. That can be, I can understand how that's super frustrating for a lot of people. Like this, this is a pretty broad question so there might not be like a, a definitive answer but maybe just touch on a couple of pieces for this what kind of advice for uh, like do you have for others to kind of cultivate this type of attitude you know of coaching but not and like being inclusive and in coaching but not necessarily going the instructor route right if that if that makes sense like how do we kind of cultivate inclusiveness because sometimes it's it's exhausting right sometimes you just want to go out and shred and do something you know is going to work like sometimes you just want to go out and have fun and just do your own thing how can you like basically encourage people and impress upon other people to continue this like inclusive you know atmosphere because like with the advent of everyone to elaborate just really quick like the yeah. advent of like progress in the sport right everyone and their mother 
wants to get better at what they're doing. And if they keep doing jumps like this, where they're not learning very much, or maybe they're not progressing as much as they want to, it can sometimes put a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. Um, you know, and they don't really, they don't really want to do it because they don't want to spend their money on it or they don't want to, you know, they just only, only ever want to keep moving forward, right? Or look cool or, you know, whatever. So how do we kind of reinforce this attitude of like inclusiveness? Sure. Well, I think first of all, you need to acknowledge that somebody probably did it for you. Again, like I said, unless you um, had unlimited funds and only have done two ways with really good coaches that have taken you from zero to hero, which there are people for whom that that is true. Like they just have a lot of money, they're willing to spend it and they went and did a ton of two ways. That exists. But for most people, someone did it for you. Like mm -hmm. someone paid it forward to you. So at the very least, you should recognize yeah. that and want to pay it forward to someone else. But another thing to recognize is like, if like, why do most people quit the sport? Um, there's a bunch of reasons for sure, like life factors, but I would argue that the majority of people who quit the sport, not because like I can't afford it or I moved or whatever, they quit because they don't have jumps often enough where they feel like fulfilled mm -hmm. and makes them want to drive forward. And what are those jumps? Well, they're usually ones where somebody way better than you takes you along and shows you like what is possible. Like I distinctly remember a jump with Dinger. Um, I think it was Anna and yeah. so probably Kristen Johnson okay. way back, but it was super early who took me on like a four-way belly jump and showed me what it was like to do like ripping mm -hmm. points. And four-way belly is a perfect example because you can be pretty mediocre. And as long as you kind of like stay in your slot ish, the, the other three people can really fly mm -hmm. you and like turn pieces and do all kinds of stuff with minimal involvement from you. But you're just like, that was so fucking mm -hmm. cool. Right. Um, and that kind of a jump drives you forward for the next yeah. 50. It can carry you through, you know, two months of kind of the doldrums of not having that great of jumps. Um, so I think recognizing that 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 newer skydivers, especially or skydivers kind of at different points in their journey need mm -hmm. those. Um, the other is to just kind of like recognize how much joy you're going to bring to somebody when they get included on a jump with like mm -hmm. shredders. I mean, this is for sure going to sound like a little bit, a little bit egotistical, but like, I know that newer jumpers get really stoked when I'm like, Hey, do you want to like do a two-way or three-way or whatever mm -hmm. they do because they're like oh, shit like i know that i've seen videos like that guy's pretty good mm -hmm. you know and they get to participate in that it's not something they're going to get to do unless you bring yeah. them in you know every once in a while you'll get a really bold one who's like hey can i come yeah. with you guys <laughs> you know and depending on the circumstance yeah maybe they can but more than likely you're gonna have to ask them and they're gonna be so stoked from that like why wouldn't you want to mm -hmm. do that it Oh, it's a little ego boost, like for sure. <laughs> Makes like, oh, I'm awesome, and they, and they are seeing how awesome I am. You know, like what? There's nothing wrong with that. We wouldn't be doing this if we didn't have a little mm -hmm. bit of ego about it. It's absolutely true. Absolutely <laughs> true. If you deny it, you know you're a culprit. Mm -mm -mm. <laughs> yeah. So just acknowledge it and and just be like, hey, it feels good and it feels cool to bring people yeah. along in the journey and have them experience mm -hmm. that joy. That's that's a great a great way to put it.
It's an awesome way to put it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Last, last really big question. Okay. And this is like a little bit of self-reflection. If you had one piece of advice for your younger jumper self, what would it be? Or even more, if more than one, it doesn't matter. Right. Like, Oh boy. If you had any advice for your younger jumper self, what, what would it be? Um, man, I probably could consistently be it. <laughs> would I actually take the advice or would I just be good at it? If I would actually take it, well, here's the thing. I've done a lot of things well in the sport, right? I didn't mm -hmm. like downsize too quickly and smash myself in and break my back. I know yeah. that some people who have done that would probably give themselves the advice to like not do that. And, you know, I think to pat myself on the back a little, I've done a lot of things well in the sport in that sense. I've stayed pretty conservative. I just stayed safe. I knock on wood. I've never had like a major skydiving injury. Um, but I think the thing I probably could consistently continue to do and could have always done is still be a little more humble. Like, yeah, no matter how much you think, you know, you still probably don't know as much and aren't as good as you think you are. Um, mm -hmm. And that humility is definitely um, something I could improve upon. So if I was going to actually take the advice, that's probably what I would pass <laughs> along and see that go into effect. I, I ask myself the same question sometimes like I'll ask it and I'll try and think about what my answer would be and like man I don't know if my young self would have been like oh yeah like oh yeah yeah that makes sense like yeah let's all do that right like <laughs> probably not yeah that's a good answer it's a super good answer we all need a little bit more humility you know just in sometimes we get our sometimes we get ourselves just a little bit too riled up and then shit happens and we're like ah fuck like if i'd just been a little bit more humble i know right well it can be such happen. a humbling sport for a lot of reasons both mm -hmm. from like like safety standpoints where like you can get cocky and all of a sudden you're almost dead yeah to you know more like uh interpersonal humblings where it's like you know mm -hmm. like you judge somebody and you don't realize uh, you think they're no good and it turns out they're actually super shredders or, or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, like there's a lot of reasons in our sport. Yep. Um, so I just realized we didn't talk about one thing in particular. I want to talk about your pilot's license. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, so you did get it. When did you get this? Uh, give me the timeline. Yeah. I started in mid January of last year and I passed my check ride March 27th and then I got my, I did, or I got my instrument rating in September. Okay, cool. What made you want to do that? Yeah, I mean, I've always been um, interested in aviation. My uncle was a pilot when I was a kid. I often said, like, I want to be a pilot when I grow up. Um, and then I just kind of didn't go that path. So I had always wanted to do it. Being in skydiving, you're very close to aviation for obvious reasons. Like, it seems like on a drop zone, you can't throw a stick without hitting a pilot. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I kind of just want, wanted to be in that club. And then last year, I kind of just sort of realized that I had the epiphany or I, I realized that I had the opportunity to pursue it. Um, by chance, Jen um, got me like a discovery flight, like a first flight for my birthday, just thinking it would be just kind of a fun thing to do in Miami um, when we got down there. And then I, like I said, I had that epiphany. I was like, wait a minute, I have the money and time and flexibility to do this right now. What better time in my life to pursue it than now? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I went after it. And now having done it, like I might start flying commercially. I don't know yet. I, I definitely would enjoy flying jumpers. I don't know if I love the logistics that that entails because yeah. I wouldn't fly jumpers at our home DZ 
Um, I have the opportunity to do so at another couple of DZs, but I'm like, do I want to move there to do that? I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, that was going to be my next question is where do you want to go with it? What do you want to do with it? Yeah, like, I don't know. Next, what's the next goal? I don't know yet. Okay. Right now, I'm well, basically I'm... just like, like I said, taking one step at a time, I'm just getting my hours and then I'll see what yeah. happens, you know, after yeah. I build some time. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited to see how that unfolds because I assume I... I mean, I don't assume. I know at some point you're going to do something really cool with it. I know that that's going to happen. I know you well enough to know like that's somewhere in the future. Um, I'm going to tell you, it'll be really, it would be really cool to be sitting in the back of the airplane and be like, "What's up, Dave?" <laughs> like <laughs> this month, like thanks for the ride and get out. It would be very cool to like have that kind of experience. So I'm pretty excited to see where that goes and how it unfolds in the future. Hell yeah. Yeah. So that pretty much wraps up this episode of Fall Risk. Thank you so much dave for indulging me in this weird little thing that i've decided to start doing thank you sam very, very and i don't think it's weird and i don't think it's little i think it's an awesome project <laughs> and i'm stoked that you're doing it i, I yeah. think it's a really cool take on it because i've heard a lot of the other skydiving podcasts and like this is a unique approach and i like it yeah well thank you we'll see we'll see where it goes i'm, I'm excited to keep putting you know time and energy at it i assume it'll slow down as the spring approaches but i'm kind of excited to keep letting it snowball and see see what happens it's very much a um an experiment at this point see where it goes you know cool um so thank you thank you for your time thank you for indulging me i appreciate it you're very much loved and appreciated uh in this space thank you so much um with that we're gonna end this episode of fall risk thank you uh everybody stay safe blue skies have a good rest of your day tune in next time bye